Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Well, again, I want to say happy Mother's Day to you. And I know many of you have plans after the service to, to celebrate and, and are expecting to have a really, really great time. But I'm also aware that many of you in this room on a day like Mother's Day are reminded of the loss that you've experienced throughout your life or the difficulties that family can be at times. And I know some of you, it was difficult even to get here this morning as you knew that we would say Happy Mother's Day, and that even brings up uh, memories for you. So wherever you are and however you're experiencing Mother's Day today, I want to say I'm so glad that you're here. I hope that as a church family, this can be a place that we can celebrate together, that we can be encouraged by the Word of God and the people of God, and that we can grieve together and weep together. So however you are experiencing Mother's Day today, I want to just let you know we're glad you're here, and I'd like to pray for you, those that are experiencing the joys and, and those that are experiencing the, the sorrow as we approach this day. So pray with me as I, as I pray for you. Father, we're so grateful for Jesus, the ultimate end of everything that you have done in our life the one who has died for us and rose from the dead. We thank you for him, and we ask that in this moment, in this room, that through your spirit, your word, and your people, that we would be able to encounter your peace and your comfort. Those that come in today with sorrow over loss or sorrow over difficulty or confusion over what is happening in their family, I pray that you would meet them and that they would be able to grieve together as a church family. For those that are celebrating today, Lord, allow us to celebrate with them as, uh, as, as we get to honor our mothers. And Father, as we approach your word, I pray that you would speak so clearly to us, that it would bring about peace and hope and confidence, because your word is what changes us. So God, if there's anything I've planned to say that's not of you, take it out of my mind. And if there's anything you want to say that I've not thought of, would you come and speak? Because God, today we want to hear from you and be changed. So come and speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you can believe it, we are making our way to the end of our Romans series. We've been in Romans chapter 5 through 8, and we are coming to Paul's glorious and magnificent conclusion of what he's been talking about in Romans 8. Now, Romans 8 is one of those chapters that is beloved by so many people. It gives hope. It gives confidence. We've been looking at different ways that the Spirit lives inside of those who have trusted in Jesus' death and resurrection. And because of that, there are some things that are objectively true of us. And what I see Paul doing as he lays out these things for us, these things that are true, he's trying to build confidence and assurance. But I found myself asking this question to myself and when I want to ask it to you as well. As we have been in Romans 8 now for several weeks, has that been your experience? Are you growing in confidence? 
Now, if you've been with us, you've, you've heard me say that uh, the Spirit within us allows us to fight our sin. That by the Spirit, we can put to death the deeds of the body. Now, that sounds like victory. But maybe you're here and you're wondering if that's really true of you. Because there's temptations and, and struggles in your life that you just can't seem to shake. And maybe that brings up doubts. And maybe you find yourself asking the question, where can I go to find confidence that that's true? You heard me say a few weeks ago that the Spirit within us assures us that we are a part of the family of God, that, that we've been adopted, and because of that, we get to enjoy life with Jesus and help for what we need. But maybe for some of you, you, you come and you're wondering, it doesn't really feel like that's true. Things are hard. Things are chaotic. And that fact of being a part of God's family doesn't seem to be giving me Confidence. So where can you go to find confidence that it's true? You heard me say a couple weeks ago that the Spirit within us gives us endurance as we suffer. But maybe you're here today and the suffering is so visceral, so in your face that sometimes it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. And you're struggling through, wondering, how do I make it one day to the next? I'm confused. I don't know what's happening. I don't know how we're going to get through this. Where can you find confidence that what Paul says is true? If you were with us last week, you heard Kevin talk about how the Spirit inside of us helps us when we're weak, when we don't know how to pray. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf according to the will of God. When we get to the end of our rope, when we don't know what to do, when we don't know what's happening, we can be in God's presence and trust that he works. And maybe you've not had that experience lately. Maybe you're still living as if I need to pray the right prayers or do the right things in order for God to really meet me there. Where can you go to find confidence that this is true? So I don't know what you're bringing in with today, but I do know that we live in a chaotic, stressful, confusing, frenetic anxiety-ridden world. And everything around us can often seem like it's going crazy and it can tempt us to go from one direction to the other, trying to find something to hold on to, trying to find hope. And Paul is writing not just this chapter, but these very words to give us that level of confidence. Because the reality is, I think that is the reason why Romans 8, 28 through 30 were written. To give us confidence, to stand on the finished work of Jesus, and to know that what God started, he's going to complete, and nothing is going to get in the way of it. That is a firm foundation that we can stand on, that I want to invite you to stand on with me today. And for those of you in the room that have not decided to follow Jesus, maybe you don't know if this is true, and you're still trying to see if, if this is for you, what I hope you're able to see today is that there is a faith foundation that those who follow Jesus stand on. That we don't just whisper things into the air hoping that somebody is there listening, but there is actually strong foundations that we can stand on. Things that have been purchased for us by the death and resurrection of Jesus and through faith we are invited into. And if you've not decided to follow Jesus, I, I hope you begin to see those foundations that we're standing on. Now, these verses are very well known, especially Romans 8.28. Maybe you've read them before. Maybe you have memorized them before. Um, and 
and they need some introduction with the, with the video. So to give, it, to give it that emphasis. Maybe you have sat on these before. Maybe these have given you hope. But I also think that these are some of the verses that are most misunderstood and maybe even misapplied in the Bible. So let me read for us in uh, chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. It says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now we have a lot of theological words that we're going to get to and some things that we need to explain. But I want to start looking at that verse just in, in chapter or verse 28, one that if you grew up in church, you have heard so many times before. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's a verse that has given so many Christians throughout the generations hope and peace and trust and confidence. But what does it really mean? If we just take it at face value, what this verse can look like is if I follow God, if I, if I love God, if I do the things I'm supposed to do, then things will work out for good. And our interpretation of that is things will work out the way that I expect them to. We just hope it doesn't take too long. But what is this verse really look like? Now, I've heard it said before, and I, I looked for the original um, guy who said this quote. Couldn't find it, but uh, this is important for any verse of scripture that we come to, so feel free to write it down. It, it can be helpful, but it says, a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. What does that mean? That means that the Bible's a really big book, and you can go through and find a verse taken out of context to justify almost every action, almost every belief, almost every idea. There is a verse in the Bible that we can take just as is and make it say whatever we want it to say. The problem is that is not how any verse in the Bible is supposed to be read. The Bible is one story. It interprets itself. It builds off of itself. So in order to find the true meaning of any text in the Bible, we have to find where it sits in its context. And so many people have read and memorized Romans 8.28, but I think we forget that the 10 verses that preceded it is included in this argument that Paul is ending with. And there are a lot of things in the previous 10 verses that we would not consider good. He talks about suffering. He talks about futility, bondage to decay, the pains of childbirth, groanings, weakness, and not knowing how to pray. That does not sound like a list of things that I would include in what is producing good. What Paul is saying is that all things, including bad things, work together for good. 
Now notice Paul is not saying that things naturally will work out for good. Right? We know by experience that that's not how it works, that things in our life are not going to naturally solve themselves and come out for good. What Paul is saying here is that there is an initiator, there is a catalyzer, there is one who is taking all things and working them for good. That is what God does. He takes all things and he moves them to, for good. And if God is the initiator of that, then the definition of good is God's. And we get a hint into how God would define good for us in the next verse. He says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now we'll get more into that verse a little bit later, but what Paul is saying here is that the definition of good that all things are working together for is conformity to Jesus. Everything in our life, good and bad, is for the purpose of making us look more like Jesus. Not success in our career. Not healthy family situations. Not good relationships. Not more money. Those are all things that would be on my list of what is good. But what Paul is telling us here is that the ultimate purpose that God has for us is conformity to Jesus. I was meeting with a guy for lunch this last week, and we were talking about our life stories. And uh, this is a guy that had gotten a lot of success and had the money and had some things go well for him. But in the last several years, a lot of that had been taken away. And he made a statement that those of us who have fallen on hard times maybe have said before, it's if that didn't happen, I wouldn't have been able to depend on God the way that I do. And my statement to him was, it sounds like God loves you too much to not have taken all of these things from you. That is not an understanding of good that we typically come to in an American culture. But there are things that we would consider good that get in the way of God's goal of us looking more like Jesus. And God loves you too much to allow those things to continue to be barriers for knowing him. Now, that doesn't mean that nothing good is ever going to happen. That doesn't mean that there's not a lot of us who are going to experience success and money and those types of things. What it means is that if you're experiencing those things, God has given them to you, not for you but for the purpose of making you look more like Jesus. There are some that it will look like you, that some suffer more and, and some suffer less. And it's not because those that suffer more have earned it or are getting punished. What Paul is saying is God is using those things in order for them to look more like Jesus. All things, including bad things, work together because God is the initiator. Now, if looking more like Jesus is the purpose, then the ultimate fulfillment of that purpose is when we get to look fully like Jesus, when we are with him in heaven, beyond the presence of sin, when we make it to eternity. And I love how a guy named Doug Moo, he's one of the writers that has been helping me understand Romans throughout this series. I love how he talks about it. He says this, the promise to us 
is that there is nothing in this world that is not intended by God to assist us on our earthly pilgrimage and to bring us safely and certainly to the glorious destination of that pilgrimage. Not everything's going to feel good the whole time, and that means that not everything is going to end up in this world the way that we expect it to. But what it does mean is that God is constantly at work in our lives. God is constantly at work in our lives. What would change in your life if you believe that that were true? I want you to think about that question. What would change in your life if you believe that every circumstance was God working in your life, that every good and bad thing was being used by God? What would change in the way you spend your money, the way that you wake up and go to work, the way that you raise your kids, the way that you come to church, the way you spend your time, the dreams that you have for your life? What would change for you if you believe that in every moment and every circumstance that God was at work in your life? There's a lot of ways I could answer that question and maybe a lot of ways that you could answer that question. But again, Paul is writing this for our confidence that that is true. Now, who is he writing this promise for? Well, verse 28 gives us that. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, these two qualifiers are really important to both be there. Because if it said just those who love God, that would be terrifying. If there was a promise that was built upon my ability to love God on a day-to-day basis— that would be terrifying. That is a flimsy foundation. Because I don't know about you, but on a daily basis, I struggle to love God the way that I'm empowered to do because the Spirit's inside of me. I get stale, I get cold, I get forgetful, give in to temptation. Praise the Lord that this promise is not built on my ability to love God. It is built firmly and absolutely on God's faithfulness and his character. And that's why Paul adds, those who are called according to his purpose. It is God that initiates. It is God that invites us in. It is God's actions, not ours. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't obey our way into it. We have received it. Through faith in what Jesus has done, living the perfect life, dying the death that we deserved, rising from the dead to give us new life. We receive that through faith. It is not us having to love God enough for this promise to be true. It is built completely on him. And to add to the confidence that Paul is trying to give us, it's not just that God is always working, but it is that God is working toward a purpose in our lives. God is working toward a purpose 
in our lives. Now, we've seen that so far, that God's purpose is that we would look more like Jesus. And to me, it begins to give a little bit more confidence that God is not just working randomly in our life and trying to stitch something cool together. He is actually working intentionally according to a purpose that he has set forth. In the Christian worldview, the way that the Bible beckons us to look at the world, there is a God that created this world and is intimately involved in our lives. Not a God that just began the universe and threw it out there and said, I I wonder what's going to happen. It is a God that is intimately involved in our lives and is giving purpose. For the materialists in the world, those that believe that it is only the things that I can see and I can touch, there's no God, there's no metaphysical, there's no transcendent. For, For those people, there is no purpose that they can grab outside of what can come up from within them. All that we can do without somebody that is working all things together for good is try as best we can to work things out for good on our own with very little control over what is going on. But in the Christian worldview, There is a God that is unfolding a story for mankind, drawing men and women to himself back into relationship with him and giving them purpose. And for you who have not decided to follow Jesus, if you are in the room, I hope what you see is that if that is true, and it's what the Bible says, it is what Paul declares to us that, this, that there is actually a solid foundation for us to stand. We're not just trying to throw up empty prayers into the air and hope somebody hears them and hope thing and things end up for good. But the one that died for us and rose from the dead is working all things together, everything in our life. And that is a foundation that we can stand on. So if you haven't decided to follow Jesus, you may not believe that those things that cause that are true, but I hope at least you begin to see that Christians have a solid foundation believing that God is the one who is moving all things together because of what Jesus has done. Now the end result of this verse, that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The end result of that verse is supposed to produce, excuse me, produce confidence. So my question for you is, has it? Has that promise produced confidence in you? Are you able to stand with Paul and say, we know that all things work together for good? We know that God is in control of these things. Or like me on many days, do you struggle to believe that that is actually true? To believe that he's actually good? To believe that he is actually moving things forward? Do you struggle at times to connect the dots? To see the connection that God is actually working things together for good, or has your life experience, as you analyze it, led you to different conclusions? Maybe you come to a message like today, 
And you're just saying, I, I hear you, Steve. I, I hear that I'm supposed to have confidence. I, I hear that those things are true in the scriptures, but how can I know with confidence that this is true? How can I know? And I think that is why Paul starts verse 29 with four. He's going to give us the reason. He says this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Here's the four. The reason that we can have confidence is because God started this process way before we might realize. God's purpose has been divinely initiated and activated all the way from eternity past and will move all the way into eternity future. And what that means is there is nothing that can get in the way of God's purposes for his people. He's already seen the beginning from the end. He's outside of time and he already has initiated and what God initiates, he completes. That is supposed to give us the confidence that we need to stand. This is why Paul can say in Philippians 1, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What God began, he will complete. The history of the world, the history of your life, even before time began, God was at work. God was at work. And Paul gives us this, this series of five links in this magnificent chain, this timeline of events that show us why this is so. And we're going to venture into the waters of some theological words and definitions. And I'm going to do my best to bring it down a little bit because some of this stuff can be talked about for a long, long time. But my goal in going through these is not to make sure that all of us end up with some theological words that we can define. My goal is to establish confidence that because of the scope of God's activity, we can have confidence that he is moving even now. If you grew up in church, you will notice that there are some theological trigger words that Paul uses here. There are some words and some concepts that are really important for us to wrestle through and have convictions over, but they are also words and terms that have caused a lot of infighting in the church, a lot of disunity. And I've been a part of some of those fights as, as a younger follower of Jesus. They're important to talk about, but what I'm going to do today is stay in the text. Paul is not laying out a full theological summary of salvation in this text. He is not trying to put these things into an entire theology of what is called election, God's initiating force. He does that in chapter 9. In this text today, he is giving us confidence because of his scope. So stick with me for a few minutes as we dive into some definitions. The first is foreknowledge. He foreknew. What did God foreknow? What did he know ahead of time? Well, what Paul is not saying is that God looked down the corridors of time and saw who it is that would believe in him and then chose them. That is not what this means. If that were true, then it would actually be 
mankind's initiative. If God looked ahead and said, oh, I know what he will decide, so I'll go with him or her, that gives mankind the initiative. What God is saying here is not that he knew what decision we would make, but that he knew you. This is amazing to think about. Before the world was made, before time existed, God saw you. He knew you, he loved you, and he initiated relationship with you. Before you did a thing, before you came to church, before you invited Jesus into your heart, before you did a thing, took a breath, God saw you. And the second link in the chain, it says, those he foreknew, he predestined. Now, many people will hear that word and say, I know what that means. That means that God looked over the history of the human race and chose some people for heaven and some people for hell. And that immediately begins a conversation and a debate over some things that tend to drive people and churches apart. However, the Bible never talks about predestination through the lens of going to hell. That is an unbiblical way to think about predestination. Predestination is God's predetermining purpose for those who will follow him. He says it right in the text that he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So predestination here is simply that those who follow Jesus, God has from the beginning of eternity, which is an oxymoron, right? All the way back there, before time began, if you are in Christ, God had a purpose for you. And it is to conform you into the image of Jesus. Now, if we understand that, that gives us insight into the hard and complex things going on in our life. So often we live our life as if God's greatest goal for us is our happiness. The Bible never says that. God is way more concerned with our character and our holiness than our happiness. And it's not that God doesn't care about our happiness. It's not that he doesn't care about these events in our life and the things that we want, but his ultimate purpose that God, that God is showing us here through Paul's letter is that his purpose is that we would look more like Jesus and he will do what we need to be done for that to happen. And when we understand that that is not just what he hopes happens to us, but his preordained purpose for us, then it begins to allow us to look at the things in our life a little bit differently. The next link in the chain is called. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. And this is where we get in on the action. Both of these things that we talked about before, foreknowledge and predestination, happened in eternity past, in the mind of God. But there's a moment in the life of a follower of Jesus when God calls. And when God calls, we believe. It has effect. It is effectual. Now, I don't have the words to be able to explain the wonder and the majesty of what this means. There is a sense in which the Holy Spirit 
at some point in the life of those who follow Jesus has come and stirred belief within us. And that when we hear the word of God, it produces fruit within us. This is different than my calling as a messenger. As I stand up here, I will call you week in and week out to faith. I will call you to believe. I will call you to action because of what the word of God says. But if you respond, if your spirit is stirred to action, that was God's call, not mine. If God in his grace decides to take my words and cause effective fruit and salvation in you, then God has called That is what Paul is talking about here. He says, just as certain as he foreknew us and predestined us, just as certain he called us, and just as certain he justifies us. It's the next link in the chain. We've been talking about justification throughout this series, but it means to be counted right according to the law of God because of what Jesus has done. That through faith in him, we are justified, counted right. That happens at the exact same time in this timeline, as called. When God calls, we believe and are justified. And then that moves us towards the fifth, glorified. Those he justified, he glorified. Now I'm going to try to get back out of the weeds a little bit. I'm going to come back to a chart that some of you might remember from uh, from several months ago. This is what Paul is talking about here, right? Back here, eternity past, God foreknew and he predestined. At some point in our life, God calls and we respond and we are justified, forever justified. Nothing gets in the way of that. And then as we get to the end of our life and we finally meet Jesus, we are glorified. Meaning, we actually get to stand before God in heaven because of what Jesus has done. Completely out of the presence of sin. What's interesting is in this text, glorification is future in our idea. We're going to be in heaven someday. But the grammar that Paul uses is the same throughout. It's all in the present. In Paul's language and in God's perspective, those whom he justified, he also glorified. Think about what that means. In this life, this topsy-turvy, squiggly-line life, as we go up and down and we feel closer to God and less close to God at different times, what that means is nothing can happen to you because of your initiative or something that we're afraid might happen that will ruin this cosmic timeline. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. And what Paul is saying is that should give us confidence. I find it interesting that Paul doesn't actually talk about sanctification in this process. He does say that we're predestined to be conformed to his image, which is a progressive process, which is sanctification, but it's almost like he skips over all that. He's just like, here's what I need you to know. If you are in Christ, all things will work together for good, and you will be conformed to the image of Jesus. There will be bad things that happen to you. There will be good things that happen to you. There will be confusing things that happen to you. There will be suffering. There will be joy. 
There will be ups, there will be downs. But God initiated this way before you were alive. And God will finish what he started. There is nothing that can get in the way of that timeline. And if we can begin to understand that, it will have immense impact on our lives. For those that maybe have wandered into addiction or giving into temptation or a bad relationship, what God began, he will finish. And he is ready for you to come back to him. He never left. For those that feel like their walk with God is stale or cold, boring, not working. What God has started, he will finish. And he's ready for you to come back to him. He never left. For those who are struggling, suffering, trying to figure out how do we get through life with all of this craziness going on in our world, he reminds us that what he started, he will finish. You can come back to him. He never left. If we can solidify this in our minds and in our hearts, then we can believe that God will also complete his purpose in us. It's not up to us to complete it. It is up to us, like Paul, to bring ourselves to the point where we say, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things, good and bad things. What these promises don't do is make it enjoyable and easy to go through this suffering. That's what the church is for, to come alongside each other and pray for each other and walk with each other and help each other. That's what the spirit inside of us is for, to help us when we don't know how to pray, to walk with us, to give comfort, to give hope. What these promises are for is to ground our mind to believe that nothing can get in the way of what God started. What God started, he will complete. What God has started in your life, he will complete. I know it's hard for me to believe, so I'm assuming it's hard for you to believe. So pray with me as we pray together that God would stir up faith that this is true. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would come and stir faith within us. God, use your word, use your spirit, use each other that we might, no matter what we are going through, no matter how hard things get, no matter the suffering that we go through, no matter the joys, would you give us grace to believe that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. There is nothing in this life that will separate us from your purpose. 
Help us to believe that what we started, we will complete, or you will complete. God, there are some in this room that are struggling to even allow their mind to begin wrestling with that because of the difficulties going on in their families, in their minds, in their hearts. I pray that your spirit would be their help, that you would stir faith in them. God, there are people in this room that maybe have not trusted in Jesus don't know what this promise can look like, or trying to make things work together for good on their own, would you stir faith in them? Would you call them? Would they believe that they have a solid, cosmic, divine purpose to stand on? And may it all be for your glory, Jesus, as we remember and declare that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.